Business Squad podcast with myself, Adam Spiel, and my ever-present co-host, Jabu Umtua. Today, we have with us our first top official from a football club coming on the podcast to really come and give us all the insights and all the interesting things about such a wonderful club in the UK that has been making strikes for the right reasons this season. Jabu, who do we have for our audience today? Honor and privilege to have, I think, one of the leading sports executives across Europe, um, especially in terms of his contribution, albeit in the background and behind the scenes in leading Burnley back into the Premier League. This is an individual who has traversed the sports industry, working for organizations across sports, including Two Circles, City Football Group, and now the COO of Burnley Football Club, who have just sealed their place in the Premier League for next season. It's an honor and privilege to have on the Africa Business of Sport podcast, Mark Thompson. Mark, welcome onto the podcast. This has been a long time coming, so it's a real pleasure to be having a chat with you. Thanks, Jabu. Thanks, Adam. Uh, I've been a big fan of the work you guys have done for a long time, so it's a pleasure to now be on here, and uh, hopefully we have a really insightful conversation. I think people would be really interested to know how you have been prepared for this role that you're in right now. So if you don't mind taking us through your career background, I mentioned Two Circles, City Football Group. Do you mind just reflecting on those days in your past career experience and how essentially it has equipped you to be the COO of Burnley? Yeah, thank you. I've, I've had two careers, really. One's been in sport, one's been out of sport, and I think both really contribute towards this. Out of university, I was a strategy consultant, and I've also worked on the operation side of private equity. There, the focus is very much on value creation, making sure that you're focusing on the right activities that are ultimately going to drive the business objectives that you need to and, and the rigorous application against that. And then I've had the fortunate um, time to be involved within sport as well, both at City Football Group, which is the holding company that owns and operates Manchester City and a number of other clubs around uh, the world in various different roles, mainly focused on the commercial side. And then I was fortunate enough to be the first person on the ground uh, with Two Circles office in North America. Two Circles is a data-driven sports marketing company that helps teams and leagues use data for the purposes of revenue and fan engagement. Um, so I think when you think about the transformation of Burnley, both that knowledge of the sports industry, but also the application of things outside that and, and how they can be applied to value creation in the sports industry, I think we're both very applicable to the role. Well, Mark, that's really brilliant for an individual like myself who has a master's degree in international sports management. I can clearly attest to the fact that my understanding or my increased understanding of sport business has really made me appreciate football and even sports to a greater extent because prior to that majority of my focus was on just the playing side so I'd wake up in the morning listen to analysis uh, discuss those things with friends and whatnot but after doing that course I really got to appreciate how all the backroom energy and all the backroom activations contribute to the success on the pitch and you've also alluded to the fact that if you, you had a good experience in business in general and you were able to bring those lessons into the different roles that you played at City Football Group and at, at and as you're playing at Burnley, Burnley Football Club. What are some of the similarities between the two different industries and how 
football can benefit more on the business side in general? It's a really interesting question. I think what you've seen, especially recently with a lot of investment and increasing levels of investment from especially Americans um, in the Premier League, for example, is that kind of rigorous application of, of data and value creation. So understanding from within the business what's actually going to drive the value, and that's on-field performance and some of the key business objectives outside that, and the application of, of data-driven decision-making within that. Everyone's watched the movie Moneyball. A lot of people have read the movie Moneyball, and it's kind of that 30 years on, and the application to both on-field, how you recruit and develop and keep people fit and not injured on the pitch, but also how you go about engaging with fans and then being able to deliver audiences to corporate sponsors that ultimately mean they're going to pay you money to have that association. So I think those... That's the main that's the main application of some of the broader business industry experience that you're seeing more and more of in football. Burnley has now bounced back on the first time of asking back into the Premier League. And I think playing some of the best football that the club has played in years and the best decision, it seems, that has happened at the beginning of the season was to appoint Vincent Company. If you could share with us what the importance of that appointment was given how long Sean Dice had been at the club, how important was it to get the managerial option of Vincent Company correct at the first time of asking and now being back in the Premier League? Well, well clearly, clearly the appointment of a manager is one of, if not the biggest decisions that an owner and a, and a chairman makes, right? because we are fundamentally a football business. And as much as you can say about doing things well off the pitch, the biggest driver of success off the pitch is if you're, if it's working on the pitch. Um, and like any club that gets relegated from the Premier League that we were, you're in a moment in time where you can either bounce back really strongly, or actually there are lots of clubs in the Championship and League One who perhaps didn't do that. So I think what we got really lucky with with Vincent um, is is someone who... Uh, fundamentally shares the core values of the club. Uh, he spent most of his career as a player in the Northwest. He has a strong affinity to the to this part of the country and the characteristics that define the success of the people within it. So culturally, there was a really good fit there. And then secondly, he's forward thinking. He's extremely hardworking. He's driven by data. Um, so all of the attributes that we wanted in someone who was going to be forward thinking as a manager uh, was recognised by, uh, you know, my owner, Alan Pace, who ultimately was the man in charge of deciding and appointing Vincent. So I think there was a great meeting of a shared philosophy uh, between the owner, the manager, the town and the club about what we wanted to be, but also based off the his history of what we were and what we are. Uh, and ultimately, with some savvy recruitment, because they were very aligned, the owner, the manager and the team, um, we've been able to build a team of success that you know, has 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 done extremely well on the pitch this year. And and that's been mirrored by the success of our women's team. We unfortunately didn't win the league on the last weekend, but had an extremely successful uh, season on the pitch. So there's been a club-wide movement forward that but the focal point is Vincent Company and and you know he deserves a huge amount of credit um for everything he's done. Burnley was always one of those teams when they were in the community that I admired from far because of how Sean Dyche was able to break that culture 
in and around these players for them to really understand. So for me, when he was sacked early on, I was like, hold on. These two are like these in the pot, they go together. But seeing over the season that Vincent Company has been able to bring in a new culture among the players for them to perform very well on the pitch and for that to rub off onto the operational side, how do you then how do you then analyze really and truly the positioning as a commercial aspect, number one, and also as a revenue aspect? Because I do know that in the Premier League, all the clubs get some money from broadcasting rights. Now, I don't know about that for the EFL. If that works, how did the impact of winning coming in affect broadcasting rights levels? Yeah, so you've asked a couple of questions there. I think I'll tackle the kind of brand marketing perspective first. So we had a very clear vision that we wanted to lean into what we call forever forward, right? A, a forward transformative brand and way of thinking and presenting ourselves. The challenge is you are only really able to do that when people can visibly see that you're actually moving forward, right? So whilst we had these plans in place, the public rollout of it, A, to some degree still hasn't fully happened, but we're in a place where it's starting to happen because when you when you roll this out, people, when they see this, when they see it happening on the pitch, are willing to believe everything that's happening off the pitch, right? So that's the first part of this. The second part of it, commercially, yes, you're right. Um, the EFL is the same as the Premier League. You get a you get a, a check from the league uh, for your contribution to the broadcasting pot that the league makes. It's clearly a lot smaller in the EFL than it is in the Premier League. Um, but commercially, as we go back into the Premier League now, you know we're able to have those conversations with brands who see Burnley as a not just a forward-thinking club and the progress, but also we're speaking to brands in the context of, hey, we're actually still really early into the story of our transformation here. So if you're a brand that wants to show an authentic integration into the club and how you've contributed to that growth, whether you're a technology company or a company that delivers mattresses but is helping us with our sleep patterns for our elite performances, we kind of feel that we can really show an authentic integration that perhaps clubs who have been at the elite end for the last 30 years can't show because they've already been there, right? So we, we're a club that has a high level of awareness, but there are quite a few clubs with a high level of awareness. Where we think we can differentiate is also to be able to say, hey, we're really at the early stages of our journey here. So that's allowed us to have a number of really good conversations and strike deals with brands who kind of feel that they can be at the start of the story uh, with Burnley Football Club, even though we are a club that's existed for 140 years. We're, we're very much in a phase of a changing phase of our story. One thing I'm really looking forward to observing of Burnley over the next couple of months as they gear themselves for the Premier League season is the amount of new commercial partners that the club gets because I observed this from last season where you got Forest coming up, Bournemouth coming up and both of those clubs signing different deals with uh, brands to cover different inventory for their sponsorship on their shirts over the advertising boards. Currently, Burnley has classic football shirts as their front of shirt sponsor for the home t-shirts and then EMA equity partners for the Oasis. So is that sort of approach going to continue into next season or are conversations already happening between Burnley and other brands and stakeholders in order to show up that inventory for the next season? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Look, clearly 
clearly brands buy into the audiences you can deliver. Um, when you're in the Premier League, the audience for those assets that have global exposure on TV become global assets, right? I think 88% of the TV audience for any club playing in the Premier League is outside of the UK. In the in the Championship, it's almost the other way around. Um, ironically, actually, Sub-Saharan Africa is quite a big TV audience for the Championship because so many of the games are shown on TV uh, through Supersport. Um, so clearly, that is the biggest change. You You have brands that are ultimately after a global audience and the exposure levels are that much higher. So the fees that you're able to justify asking for are, are multiples of in the Premier League versus the Championship. Where you then get into, and that's for the big TV-facing assets, you know, front of shirts and training kits, where you then, where it becomes more nuanced is those that don't have visible TV, um, TV-facing side to it where you lean into the community aspect and the social aspect. Now, they can still be global products because your your ability to get those brands in front of football-engaging audiences is still very strong because of the Premier League brand. If you play Man United and produce a piece of content that kind of speaks to the rivalry between Burnley and Man United, your United fan in Singapore will consume it when they wouldn't be consuming it if you were playing Preston in the Championship. So the audiences are different uh you often also have the opportunity to market in market so a lot of clubs are now building out country specific strategies in big football markets where they're able to actually deliver fan engagement work with brands who have a very strong local presence for categories like beers and telcos that have very very strong brands that only operate in one or two markets so manchester united and manchester city will have a huge portfolio of regional partners where you might be the official telco partner in South Africa, and that might be MTN, but actually they'll also have a an official telco partner in East Africa, which might be um, uh, Safaricom, for example. So um, when you're putting together the partnership portfolio, clearly your approach has to change. The brands that you speak to does have to change. But we've actually had a number of our partners who were with us in the championship still want to continue with us in the Premier League. You just have to get a bit creative about how the assets need to change related to the changing prices and the changing brand objectives. Mark, one thing that tends to increase the level of brand affinity and brand awareness is your brand association. And in this sense, it's with your top level stakeholders. Take us through the journey that Burnley has come from the beginning to now with the growth of its stakeholder uh, management portfolio and also the fact, the role that stakeholder increased management going to bring to moving the club to a foil club potentially becoming even more viable commercial sorry how would you define stakeholder management there more of like bringing in so take for the strategy techniques that will bring in more high level stakeholders to want to come and invest into the club uh investing into the club look um I mean, ultimately, when, when you speak to investors, investors want to return, right? So the, the strategy around that is, is, one, providing the detailed information around economics and how actually a club like ours makes money, um, which often involves a philosophy. This is a bit of a zero-sum game, right? Three In the championship, three teams get promoted uh, each year, three teams get relegated, and 
zero clubs could be run well or 24 clubs become well and that still doesn't change so i guess it's it's presenting the economics to that but then also building confidence that you have the ability to actually execute against that right so every football club is now using data and and using the same data but how do you use it in a better way so if you're trying to identify that next attacking midfielder who's going to take you to the next level you're still getting the 50 variable data points that most of the other clubs are doing are getting but then how how are you looking at that data in a different way uh, and that's all well and good but then you've also got to have the team in place that can go and execute those deals right early engagement with the other clubs you have to have a manager and a team that can actually get that person on the phone to be able to convince them that they're actually that this is the club for them to next um for them to spend the next part of their career and then as a club you have to build an ecosystem whereby you can support that player whether it's with help with their social media engagement to basically holistically round out their profile so if you can build and communicate that plan uh evidence with success and in the case of burnley this year you know genuine success on the pitch generally investors will be more interested than they would be otherwise i think you've given us a brilliant articulation of how burnley is looking to approach the off-pitch business of the football club, which I think you have laid pretty impressively throughout the season. In terms of the on-pitch strategy for Burnley, if you could just give us a glimpse without sharing too much about your recruitment strategy and what Burnley is going to do in the summer, something I've looked very closely at is how clubs that have just come out from the championship, how they approach the transfer windows. And we saw with Nottingham Forest the season where they spent so much money on over 20 players into the squad. Bournemouth, after the Bill Foley takeover, went through in January, went on a huge splash, which has seemed to work out for them well now. How is Burnley going to approach this transfer window? There's many players who are on loan. Nathan Taylor, who has done fantastically well in his season on loan. Many players who are going back to their parent clubs as well. Um, it's going to be an interesting season or summer rather that you're going to be planning around isn't it yeah absolutely like most as you've as you've correctly pointed out most teams coming from the championship to the premier league uh need to do something um to compete in the premier league we have a number of loan players um in our first team as well so that breeds some form of required activity as well what actually then happens off the back of that I probably can't go into too much detail to here because I'm probably not in the position to, but also I'm not the person who's actually going to be doing it. So probably can't share too much uh, at this point in conversation, unfortunately. But look, we we recognise that we need to build a, a squad to compete in the Premier League and that will require a, a, a quite a large amount of activity this summer. One thing I actively see Burnley FC doing very well is the integration of young talent into the club. Not necessarily on the pitch, but off the pitch with initiatives that are bringing pathways for young people to be part of the sports business. Could you just take us through what the Hive is about and uh, you know what we can move forward from from it? Yeah, I mean, Hive, we're really, really proud of. Um, just as the background to that, we were recruiting, I used the example of a couple of roles we were recruiting for last year. One where we just got an overwhelmingly applicant pool that was from one demographic, i.e. white males. 
And then the second one was actually for an entry level role. We just didn't have that many applicants at all. Right. So we really challenged ourselves to how can we actually increase the quantity and quality of the talent pool coming in and applying to someone like Burnley Football Club and actually the focus on that being to create a more diverse uh, group of people applying. Uh, so we set up the Hive, which is really aimed at people who are looking to get into the sports industry to demystify the industry and give them a real sense of like what it is to work in the football industry, just the breadth of roles that, um, that, that, that are in there. The combination, it was through a mixture of online talks, insight days that we held at Turf Moor. They got assigned to mentors um, within our business. And at the end of it, we've had a really successful year. We're going to be recruiting some of the people off the scheme over the next six months. And actually now we're going to be working very closely with the EFL to scale it nationally, whereby we'll have a national body, but individual chapters at different clubs around the country. Um, so we're really proud of it. Uh, I think it's a step forward for this industry. We plan on making it really big, really quickly. Uh, we have plans for international chapters around this, uh, if we can move quickly. Uh, so we think it's a great initiative for the club and we're really proud. And we've we've had the opportunity to meet and engage with some incredible young talent who are going to improve our industry. Mark, being in the shoes of these young talents, I can just see how perfect it would be for, for anybody who is passionate and really has interest to work in the sporting business side of every club, especially a club that has opportunity to now go into the Premier League and perform there, it's already hard for young people to get such potential roles within sports business in some of the very top countries like in England, over the across the UK, Europe as well. So in actively creating pathways, not only are you bringing in new talent, you're securing top level talent for the club as well for the next five to 10 years coming, which would be very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, young people especially are putting a lot of trust in you in terms of the right place to develop your career. That's very difficult to do in two interviews. Um, so what we're trying to do is get ahead of that and actually demonstrate to people almost before they've applied of like why the sports industry is for them, potentially. And then secondly, why Burnley Football Club is the place that you can trust with the development of yourself over the next five years. So it's it's been really, it's been an unbelievable experience. And also it's been great for people within our business, uh, people who have been mentors, two people, Chris Parkinson, who's the head of our ticketing, and Jessica Lucas, who's in our HR team, have really driven that scheme forward. So they've seen huge growth in their own personal development. Uh, so all in all, everyone's been a winner from that. We've learned as much from the applicants as they have from us, hopefully. So um, it's been a pleasure to be part of and, and we have big plans for it going forward. It's pretty impressive, Mark, that Burnley Football Club is positioning itself as a hub for the brightest talents in the sports business. And it's even more encouraging to see that you're doing that also in another capacity with the African Sport Business Network. Uh, you have quite a close association with the continent, given that you were raised in Kenya, which I found out quite recently, and I was really pleased to hear that. What is the plan around the African Sport Business Network? Do you mind just sharing what your mission and vision and what you're thinking is around that in terms of offering sport business practitioners within Africa the best opportunities, not only to succeed in Africa, but also globally. Well, thanks. Yes, Jabu. I, look, I 
and, and the Africa Sports Business Network is, is something that I haven't really actioned too much yet. It's, it's a plan that I hope to over the next uh, couple of months. But yeah, as, as you kindly mentioned, look, my, I, I moved to Kenya from the UK when I was seven, and then I moved to Johannesburg. My first day there was on my 12th birthday. My parents subsequently moved to Zambia. My dad was born there and brought up there, and then to Senegal, and then back to Kenya. So, so Africa is very much my home. Uh, home is where the heart is. Uh, even if my passport is British. So I've been looking for a way to re-engage with the continent in a structured way and also think about how can I actually add value given my experiences. So my plan at least is to set up this Africa Sports Business Network. There are a number of people who are doing versions of this uh, already and doing unbelievable work, including yourselves. You're part of some of these networks, yourselves, you two. Um, my plan really is to just be able to connect people internationally within the sports business who have an affinity with Africa, either they're African exiles or they're actually people like myself who have spent a considerable amount of time engaged with the continent and to kind of create that collaboration with people who are also based on the continent uh, to actually like drive forward the industry. And I don't know what that means yet, but it's probably sharing thought patterns and knowledge of exchange. And that goes both way. That's not a kind of, people outside of Africa giving back. It's people in Africa giving their expertise uh, to people who are based out of there because so many amazing business processes have been discovered through businesses trying to understand how you serve profitably and with a societal benefit the African continent, right? I do think that we can find a way to democratize the delivery of education. I'm a big believer in people needing access to understand and challenge and to learn to get that foundation to build their careers and the organizations they're with so i do think that there's an education platform within this as well as a networking thing and then how can we get together to actually add real value to challenges that some of the businesses within africa are facing whether it's sports rights holders trying to how to build the profile of sport within africa globally or actually it's non-for-profits that are using sport as a vehicle to tackle societal change so a lot of the information isn't flushed out at the moment but i'm sure with people like yourselves and mine we can get together and make some positive impact so it's kind of a stay tuned uh, and i guess by saying all of that on the podcast i'm holding myself accountable to doing something about it but that's that's ultimately the driver is I, I believe in I believe in the future of Africa and I believe in the knowledge and innovation that comes out of people uh, from the continent and how can we harness that for the betterment of not just African sport but but global sport as well. It's truly fascinating, Mark, picturing the potential benefits of the Africa Sports Business Network and as of one who has witnessed so many times different reports, research articles, and even conversations with individuals who've said, we came in here, that is Africa trying to create synergies, but it wasn't able to work successfully. This I know will bring the connection of the right number one channel and number two, people who are willing to help on both sides. Because it's one thing to bring initiatives to Africa. It's another thing to have the right people on the ground who understand the initiative the importance to bringing it to the continent and then the pathways to make those initiatives possible. Jabo and I look forward to being a part of this initiative, causing it to grow, finding pathways for even younger people 
view on such a network as well, because for us, our main passion is to reach to the youth in Africa on sports business, getting them to understand and appreciate it and want to be a part of it as early as possible. There we have it, folks. Mark Thompson of Burnley Football Club, top COO, in my very humble opinion. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I'm very sure that you have as well. Thank you very much for coming on, Mark. To our audience, thank you for giving us your time and enjoying this to meet again next time.